1945, Southwest Vermont. Mitty Rivers, a hunting guide, vanished in a forest that he knew probably better than anyone, and he was never found. Over the next five years, at least four more people would disappear. There are no known connections between the five victims, except that their disappearances are strange. Very strange. And this all happened within the quaint towns and friendly people of the Green Mountains in Vermont. This location has become known as the Bennington Triangle, a term coined in 1992 by Vermont author Joseph A. Citro. From my early introduction to this strange tale, I notice that there are always comments in articles about the triangle that reference the area's folklore, including UFOs, Bigfoot-like cryptids, ghosts, curses, and more, seeming to suggest that these disappearances could be paranormal. This is a study of strange. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Michael May, and today I have a very special guest, Yuri Baranovsky. I did say that correctly. You got it. Right? I, yeah, I was, I, I was curious. I, I, I don't I know did. if you've ever said it before, you know. So oh, I've said curious. it to myself. I'm like, just <laughs> in case I haven't <laughs> yeah, talked yeah, yeah. to him and I have to say his name, I need to make sure I say it correctly. Um, so you are a, a filmmaker. Yes. And most recently, you have the movie that you wrote and produced called The Summoned, mm -hmm. which is available, I mean, pretty much everywhere. Everywhere, it's... yeah. Amazon Prime is where we send people. But and it's, it's just for rent as of this recording, You can right? actually buy the hard copy DVD, which uh, I think one person has bought. What is what is a DVD? Uh, it's a sort of uh, mini disc. That... <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's like a laser disc yeah, it's but like a smaller exactly and, it's like, uh, imagine yeah. a record yeah <laughs> uh, but instead of using a needle it uses <laughs> that's right thing. that's uh, right so uh, bear with me just a second uh, i'm gonna have to do a little bit of housekeeping okay uh, this do won't it. this won't take long well thank you everyone who has tuned in so far i'm having a blast on the show i've already got more episodes lined up and more amazing guests Please subscribe, rate, and review, you know, the typical spiel. And if you like the show, please visit our Patreon page, which you can find through our website, astudyofstrange.com. Uh, we're new and just getting the hang of this podcasting stuff, but we do have additional content for mem members, for members only on Patreon. And as of this episode, we've got a special giveaway we're doing on Patreon. Yuri just got excited. Uh, so please check that out as well. And follow us on, you know, social, Instagram. That's where we are. That's where A Study of Strange is. And yeah, please give us a shout. Housekeeping. That was beautiful. Listen, you that's probably it. the you're best. You're a podcast host now. Oh, man. I, I feel like that's the worst I've done so no, far. No, 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 That was... It's, you're making me nervous. That's why. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you before we get into today's episode. Yeah. Uh, your career, mm -hmm. I, I think I'm correct if I say you've done mostly comedy stuff. Yeah, I would say I lean into comedy. Yeah. yeah. So this horror movie was the first horror I had ever written, actually. And was it uh, just because the opportunity came or were you interested in horror and scary things? Um, I love murder mysteries. Yes. But I horror, I don't even really watch that much horror. Mm -hmm. um, the director is a friend of mine and he wanted to make a movie during the pandemic. And he was like, I want to make a horror movie. You know, they sell easier. It's easier to, to get yep, money. Yep. And um, 
And so he, he asked if I would write it and if our production company would produce it. Yeah. So it was, and it was tough. It was a, it was a new experience for me and it's a different, you know, they have, it has its like beats that you have to hit that are horror yeah. beats that I had to learn. And yeah. And I, I still think it's, it's comedy leaning in, in places. Yeah. Well, too. look, I've, I've always said that the best horror, uh, the best comedy writers, the best comedy actors, those are the people I want to basically do every genre <laughs> um, because I think comedy is so much harder. Right. And has you have to use so much more of yourself in it, and uh, yeah. and so I always appreciate when people cross genres. Hollywood doesn't like people doing. That, I know. But I in the rest that. of the world, it's just like, oh, you're a good storyteller, I so know. tell a story. I agree. I it's yeah. so bizarre to me. Someone was like, you know, what's your favorite genre? Genre, right? And I'm like, I don't. I just like I telling know. stories. Like whatever yeah. I'm interested in, like a story that I get into, I'll write it because it it fascinates me. So Absolutely. I don't really have. But comedy is probably yeah, my yeah, yeah, number one. Uh, that's great. And I thought of you. For this episode, because I'm wait, oh yeah, yeah, because your podcast called "A Study of Strange." Strange. And Strange. what is this episode called? Oh, uh, this is the Bennington Triangle. The Jewy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of you because I thought of the, you because of the Jewy. The Jew- no, no, no. Okay. It is it is uh, Vermont. I went there for a film festival, and it was like a magical fairy tale. What uh, what film festival? Uh, very memorable one, I guess. Yeah. Do I remember the name? No. <laughs> It was actually, I guess it was a, it was like a, like a TV festival because our pilot was in it. Yeah, cool. Binge. But I, I don't remember the festival. I remember the town though. Yeah. It was was great. Do you remember what the town was? No. It's, it, what I found out in New England is Uh they all have the same name. So in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine. Right. They all have Londonderries and and Somerset. That's right. That's exactly. They all, they all have the same names because they were not creative at all. Yeah. It was yeah. like fall there and it was oh, perfect. It was just, yeah. I was like, is this real? Yeah. It was amazing. We'll, we'll anyway. get into that in a little bit because yeah. I'm going to comment on the area a, a lot, but I have some uh, personal experiences uh, I'll bring up. Uh, but I, I did think of you for this episode because you're smart. And I'm not saying that just to like, Thank you. you know. Unlike your other hosts or guests. Yeah. <laughs> right, Those right. Uh, unlike all the other ones. Uh, especially Tim Donahue. Yeah, no right? one tell him I said that. <laughs> Yuri does know Tim, everybody. So mm-hmm. I'm not just uh, I'm not just making that joke for <laughs> for no reason. Um, so no, I thought of you because I wanted someone that could, especially talking about like multiple genres here and cross genres. Mm-hmm. Today's episode is not a a singular mystery like a murder mystery or a, a person that did a lot of weird things or evil things that we're right. gonna like dive into and try to solve today. I'm going to tell the main basis of what the Bennington Triangle is and why people think weird things happen. Mm -hmm. But then I'm going to go into just a lot of different short little stories about folklore. Oh, I love folklore. Yeah. So I'll I'll tell everybody about why we're going to do it like that in just a second. But yes, he has a lot of pictures on this computer. Oh my goodness. That's the triangle. That's the triangle. Well, it's undefined. I I, I gathered it's the triangle. Um, So as you can already guess, everybody, and and you listen to the the intro, today we're talking about the Bennington Triangle. And I've been wanting to talk about this or use it in some form of creative expression somehow. And I haven't had the right project to do it until now. And... I mentioned in the intro, which Yuri has not heard, but I do have an intro, uh, that the Bennington Triangle term was coined in 1992 by Vermont author Joseph A. Citro, and you'll hear his name a lot today. I can't praise his work enough. This dude studies and writes about folklore, folktales, spooky things, primarily in Vermont and New England, which to me just sounds like an awesome life if someone's interested in that. They're just sitting around studying and writing this stuff. It it sounds amazing. Uh, so I'll provide a lot of links to his books. He's not the 
only source for today's episode, but he is the primary source. So I'll I'll make sure that the show notes are full of all sorts of links for him. Uh, I'm guessing you've never heard of the Bennington Triangle. No, I was you just thinking that it. that it. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I I've never never heard of it. I yeah. will tell you on my way here to your house. Yeah, uh, I was driving, and we live pretty close to each other. And there's a street near my house that has two lights that have gone. I don't know what happened to them, but they're like they're blue. The mm-hmm. street light is is this intense blue. Something broke, or maybe they're. I don't. I'm not sure. But this is they're very very blue. And I was driving, and I got you know I stopped at a stoplight or whatever, and I was staring kind of at the street and I saw a woman in an all white flowy dress oh. just staring into a tree. Just she just she was just standing still staring and I was like, I don't know if that's a ghost or not. Oh. And I thought that was a nice nice how, lead into how this far podcast. Away was she? she was just in like she was, you know, I was on side one side of the street and she was just like right Oh there. no, I mean how far away from the tree? Oh oh she was maybe like a foot away. She was just staring into the tree. So oh, like interesting. she was, you know. Ooh, ooh, yeah. spooky, cool. So, yeah. So I'll let you know. Uh, so just for you, because you haven't heard this yet. So there are a series of disappearances that make up the basis of, of the Bennington Triangle, okay. you know, its own little lore. Yeah. And they happen. It was uh, at least five people disappeared between 1945 and 1950. And they're quite bizarre circumstances. And literally in the news at the time, because I've looked up old newspaper reports from those years, people thought they were strange even back then and started connecting these little disappearances together because of how weird they were. So this isn't just a folk tale that kind of grew over time, which mm-hmm. can happen with a lot of things. This is actually like right at the time it was happening. People were calling out that it's strange. But don't you think that at that time people always, they, like they thought everything was strange? You know, that's like when the UFOs were really, <laughs> I feel like the, everything they're like, oh, I don't know. That's weird. Maybe, maybe. May, okay, well, we'll get, it. We'll get, we'll <laughs> that's get my, into that That's a my pre- no, that's premise great. as that's we start. Great. That'll lead to some people stuff later on. People in the around, 40s and 50s thought things yeah. were weird. Um, so that's, you just solved it. There I solved it. I'm going to go. Yep. Calling it a triangle is... Uh, that's always, I always get a kick out of that. So Bermuda is probably where that term started. A triangle basically defines an area where a lot of weird phenomena happens. And it's an overused term, but people think that there's like interdimensional doorways or, mm-hmm. or you know, strange dimensional breaks in space and time is that are there other triangles other oh there are there's way too many of them oh, if, really? if you oh. just like google uh spooky triangles, triangles because ever okay. since bermuda people have just been oh, using it i didn't know that okay. and you can even see from the photos i have up on my screen yep. like the bennington one is is undefined joseph a citro who who sort of gave it that name in the early 90s he wasn't like if you follow this exact route it's just right. more like this, this general area. area a lot of people after that have started trying to come up with their own definitions but as you can see there's various ones uh-huh, uh-huh. um and i honeymooned in the bermuda triangle you did i did yeah and, and did anything happen no no it's uh, were you it's, hoping no it's oh, the bahamas yeah. you don't well, even think yeah about i guess that. that's true yeah but it's it's an area where there's a rough seas because right. the ocean gets much shallower there's a uh, you know cold air mixed with the hot warm ocean creates weather patterns that right. are very dangerous for planes and boats so a lot of natural stuff happens there that i think causes things right. to happen right i don't mean to sound like i'm complaining about triangles because i am the target market if someone <laughs> writes an article and deems a new triangle yeah. i'm gonna read about it <laughs> um but most of the time it's it's just bullshit yeah um but the bennington triangle does have a lot of weird stuff and what we know about it is that it's centered around glastonbury mountain which is in kind of southwest vermont 
in it's called the Green Mountain National Forest because it's the Green Mountains, sort of this, the the mountain range there, mm-hmm. and also the surrounding area around Glastonbury Mountain, which borders the city of Bennington, towns like Shaftesbury, Woodford, and depending on how you define the actual borders, it also could include Arlington and Stamford, which is all southwest Vermont, and this also includes the ghost towns of Glastonbury and Somerset which we will get a lot more into because they are central to this. All their ghost towns. Now, the Bennington Triangle is widely known nowadays, but when I first heard about it and started reading about it, maybe 10-ish years ago, it wasn't as well-known as it is now. Now you're starting to see it in podcasts and documentaries Mm. and tons of articles in this kind of genre. And just to clarify, the only disappearances were between 1940 No, we'll talk about that more. There are, as anywhere else, there are people that go missing. Sure, sure. These Five, and I say at least five, because some people include some other disappearances. Disappearances? Mm-hmm. Disappearances. That's the high school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some people include other people, uh, disappearances uh-huh. into this group. Uh, but it's primarily, it's almost like Jack the Ripper has the canonical five. Right. This has like its own little canonical canonical five uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, of like the main people that they assume. And it's all because it, they were never found. Strange circumstances, bizarre sightings and uh-huh. things. Okay, okay. Now, when I came across the triangle, I was intrigued because these cases were weird and unsolved. So, of course, I was. However, I mentioned in the intro that to the casual reader, there are usually comments when you read about the Bennington Triangle uh, that bring up local folklore and legends. And these comments usually appear in the last paragraph of an article. And they're usually very vague and short, not a lot of detail. And... They usually bring up UFOs, Mm -hmm. Bigfoot-like monsters. There is a thing called the Bennington Monster. Also, Native American curses. And for a while now, I've been trying to find those details because this is what I do for fun. You know, where are these writers getting their information from? Why are they saying UFOs and monsters and stuff? Are they just copying each other? They likely are. Yes. And the thing is, I couldn't find a lot of detail at first. And online resources, newspaper.com, all the other tricks that we use to research things. I just can't find anything. So I asked myself, are these just missing people, as sad as it is to say that, and not strange? And are these comments about folklore just clickbait? Like, are they just there to, mm-hmm. to read an article? The answer to that is yes. But there was one place left to turn, and that was the man that coined the term Bennington Triangle in 1992, Joseph Citro. So I've read a lot of his work. He's the expert in these legends, the lore. They are real. And hello, plane flying overhead. <laughs> when you say they're real. Well, I mean, I mean real in the okay. sense that like the it. stories do exist. Got it, got it. And there is more detail. Still not a lot, uh-huh. but there is uh-huh. more detail than just being like, oh, there's people say there's a, there's a Bigfoot up there. Right, right, right. It's like, okay, but who said that? Why? Uh-huh. Where's uh-huh. the story uh-huh. behind it? Okay. Uh, and there is more information out there. Still not enough, but there is more. Uh, So what we're going to do today is I'm going to share the details of the main missing persons accounts that create this legend. And then we're going to dive into some of the local folklore and you, listeners, and you, Lurie. Yes, Lurie. What is wrong with me tonight? (laughs) How drunk Uh, are you? I'm not not drunk at all. That's the sad thing. Maybe I'm just tired. Um, So then we'll dive into some of the local folklore and you, Yuri, and listeners, you all can decide... If there's anything, if the folklore, if the legends, if they have anything to do, even if just from a metaphorical sense, to the disappearances of these five people. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a history nerd, so we'll dive into a little bit of that as well. And if you know anything about New England, it is the birthplace of American horror. If you think about Gothic American hit literature, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Edgar Allan Poe, Washington Irving, uh, even Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft, this is the spot, and there's a reason for it, because as beautiful as the place is, like you were just talking about, it's spooky. It's old and spooky. It yeah. is old and spooky. Yeah, new places aren't as scary. You know what I mean? Like Who? newer newer cities. Oh, they're, no. They're newer, they're, yeah, you're, like, you're missing that kind of historical yeah. aspect to it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, even and, LA, like it's, yeah. it feels you no, know, no, no. Too, uh, too, like new. too new. Too new. Yeah. Too new. Uh, and hopefully my perspective of this strange story can be interesting because when I first heard about it, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was probably around the time that I went and stayed at my wife's family's house in southern Vermont. And I fell in love with the place. I mean, like you were saying, it is beautiful. And look, I'm from Florida. Originally, I lived in LA for 20 plus years. And I didn't realize that something so like Norman Rockwell-ish and quaint Americana. And so white. So many white people. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But I I didn't know that places like that existed. Yeah. Um, And Vermont and other parts of New, uh, New England, like northern New York and New Hampshire and Maine and even parts of Massachusetts and stuff, they're lush. They're the towns are stuck in this like pre-war style. Mm-hmm. There's farmers markets. There's local historical yeah. societies. A, a little local pie shop. A little local pie. There's uh, uh, what do they call them? General stores. Yeah, yeah. And like most little yeah. towns, yeah. and like the you know the main street runs right through yep. the middle. There's yep. swimming holes. Yeah, it is. It's so old-fashioned in such an amazing, beautiful, and like inspiring way. But again, as beautiful as this place is it is spooky it's true dun 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 that's <laughs> it's 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 where i think i feel like whenever you hear about serial killers or people disappearing it's usually in places like that there is something to say about remoteness remote lonely roads, <clears throat> yeah so. and we'll get into that with some theories about the the disappearance uh, the disappearances of these people because they could have just disappeared there's not a lot of people around it's rugged terrain it's forests Right. Um, and maybe that attracts serial killers to places like this because it's less people to witness yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Way to make it creepy. I we were going to, we were already going to talk about <laughs> creepy stuff. It's all right. That's my guess. I yeah. haven't heard the details, but it's a serial killer. <laughs> that is, that is one of the theories. That is one of the theories. So this is how it started on November 12th, 1945. <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> I'm doing a good job. I'm doing a good job. Uh, November 12th, 1945, 74-year-old hunting and fishing guide, Mitty Rivers. That's a man. I thought it was a, I thought it was a, I know, a fishing it, guide. Especially in Vermont yeah. and in the 1940s, Mitty. Mitty Rivers. Uh, so Mitty took a group of four hunters up the mountain and near what they call the Long Trail in Vermont. The Long Trail is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, hiking trail in the U.S. And it travels almost the entire length of Vermont up into Canada. I like the name because it's so unimaginable. <laughs> Wow, that trail is long. Long. Let's, let's put That's up a, a sign. Good, a good name. Uh, yeah. Oh, I have it written here. Two hundred Over 250 miles. That is a very long, long trail. Long trail. So on the way back, Rivers got ahead of the group, not by very much, but ahead of the group, and he vanished very quickly, and he was never seen again. So authorities were called as soon as... Sorry, say He that fell again? in a hole? That's my guess. Very I'm just going to throw out a guess. And guess and a lo- very logical uh, conclusion to come to. Uh, and authorities came and they searched because holes. other people are going to think of holes too. That is that is totally natural. 
Now, Mitty Rivers was old, but he was in excellent health. He even had like a doctor's appointment, I think, two weeks before. And they're like, oh, my goodness, you're, you're, yeah. Fine health. <laughs> you're, sure. you're in, sure. in tip-top shape. Um, they searched for a few hours, but because Rivers knew the area super well and because he knew about survival in the wild and because he had good health, they stopped after a few hours and they waited. They're like, he'll turn up. Well, he never did. So when he didn't show up, uh, they searched more. And about a month or two of searching, nothing was ever found. Some research that I came across mentions of rifle cartridge that they found. They're not unspent rifle cartridge. I don't put any stock in that because it's like it could have come from anybody. There's sure. a lot of people that hunt in that area. Mm -hmm. um, but they think it could have fallen out of a pocket or whatever. But they found no other evidence. I have questions. Yes. How far ahead of the group was he? Um, that is a good question. So Thank you. again, there's some time here. There are some discrepancies, but not a not super far, just like minutes ahead. Mm -hmm. Uh, if that makes sense. I don't know visually how to, sure, how to sure, sure. share that with my arm <laughs> sure. gesturing right now, but uh yeah. not super far ahead. It was just uh -huh. a bit ahead, they turn uh -huh. a corner, he's gone. Okay. Now, I can't figure out the exact spot that happened in these days, but it does appear to be near the Glastonbury Mountain. The, the main the main point of interest and south of where the former town the ghost town now of glastonbury exists and this is right in the heart of what is considered the triangle Mitty so, rivers is i mean really great name for isn't it the yeah. first person to disappear yeah. in the bennington triangle okay. Uh, okay so the next missing person is paula weldon and this is easily the most famous and consequential of everybody that went missing i'm also just realized i wanted to make sure we were recording we are yeah so that's good um yeah so paula weldon easily the most famous and consequential she was only 18 years old and she disappeared about a year later on december 1st december 1st 1946 she was a sophomore at the bennington college and she set off from dewey hall for a hike on the long trail now, there are a lot of witnesses that saw her leave to hike. Uh, first is Louis Knapp, who lived nearish to the trail, and he gave her a ride to the place that she he wanted to start the hike. Uh, people saw her after that, though. But yeah, I thought the same thing when I first read about <laughs> this. Um, then around 4 p.m., Ernest Whitman, uh, a Bennington Banner employee, gave her directions. Oh, he did it. Banner employee? Even, even more, oh even more. Uh, so she was alleged to have been seen on the trail by another couple out who were also enjoying they the hike it. on the trail. <laughs> Maybe they were not, they were not, the, they may have been the last to see her. So what they say is that she was about a hundred yards in front of them and they were walking and they could easily see her. She was wearing a red parka. So, so she stood out in the forest and they turned a corner and, or sorry, she turned a corner. And then when the couple turned the corner, just moments later, she was gone. And they didn't just immediately go, oh, my God, a missing person. They just found out later she went missing. So, of course, they relay the story to the authorities that that's spooky. probably it's probably around that area where it happened. And yes, it is very spooky. So Monday afternoon, it's school day. This is when they, they notice something's amiss. People people realize Paula hasn't returned to school. So the college called the sheriff's department. And word spread really quickly. 400 students, faculty, townspeople, sheriff's office, everybody went out looking for her. They found no shoes, no dropped dorm room keys, no notes, no 
handkerchiefs, you know, not that she would have carried one, but just nothing that would have pointed Mm -hmm. um, to where she was or what could have happened. And they ended up uh, putting up a $5,000 reward for information, but still nothing. Now, governor at the time, Mortimer Proctor, another oh, great names. name, fantastic, uh, was notified of the search. And since no one was getting in anywhere, he actually called in the FBI and they helped. Also, uh, authorities in New York and Connecticut, their police officers and, and divisions also came out and helped in the search. And of course, a psychic was brought in as well, because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but none of that stuff helped. They even brought not in, even the psychic. Not even the psychic. That's crazy. Uh, they had airplanes, choppers, thousands of people. They searched for about a month and nothing. Deep, no evidence was ever hole. found. Sorry. Deep hole it was a deep hole. Uh, honestly, could be. <laughs> it is. It it's is just not, one hole that they all keep falling into. <laughs> it's all the same hole. Damn it. Um, now, books and stories have been based on Paula's disappearance, and out of all the people that we will discuss related to the Bennington Triangle, she's the only one I can find that is still listed on Vermont's active missing persons list. The other people are not on there, which is interesting. Her roommate later reported that she remembered Paula saying that she was depressed, she wasn't feeling well for a few days. And some of the accounts say that her roommate said, oh, you should go take a hike. It'll make you feel better. Some accounts say Paula herself was like, taking a hike will make me feel better. And, you know, then no one saw her. Some people speculate that she left with a boy or didn't wasn't getting along with her parents and ran away. But all of her personal effects are in her dorm room, her money, her checks, everything was mm-hmm. left. So she's not going to like run away with a guy without any of her stuff. Also, her family, her friends, no one knew that she was dating anybody so i don't really think that's a valid theory and she mm-hmm. was seen hiking by herself right so chances are she was out in the woods in the bennington triangle when this happened now what happened after mm. weldon disappeared is that her case inspired the state of vermont to form its own state police force there were other reasons they did this too but the weldon case directly did influence the decision to make a state did police force have, oh because they had like city and they had city and town, versions, like sheriff's, sheriff's office yeah um but no they didn't have a state police operation and still to this day one of the main responsibilities of the state police in vermont and it makes sense for that state is search and rescue mm. so that is the like one of the main main reasons that they formed it so it, that's why she is a consequential interesting uh, missing persons case now next this is the story that actually got me kind of hooked on the bennington triangle the next person that disappeared is a guy named James Tetford. I'm saying Tet, T-E-T-F-O-R-D, mm-hmm. even though it's usually spelled T-E-D, Tedford. Tedford. Even in old newspaper accounts I found, he's T-E-D. Um, I've also seen it without the T or the D, so there are some like variations on how sure. people spell it. I'm using T because uh, one of Joseph A. Citro's books refers to him as that, and that guy researches mm-hmm. the hell out of these things. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going with. Now... Uh, Tetford was a veteran of World War One. A lot of accounts say it was World War II, but he was way too old for that. He was a World War One veteran. Uh, and he was living in the soldier's home, Bennington Soldier's Home in Bennington, Vermont. So Tetford is the third person to disappear, and it was exactly three years after Weldon to the day, December 1st, 1949. Tetford was a resident of the Bennington Soldier's Home, and he had been in St. Albans, or outside of St. Albans. It's a city in northern Vermont, so almost all the way from the bottom of the state to the top of the mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was visiting what is usually called relatives, but it was actually his wife and other relatives. So he and his wife were separated. They lived in separate places, and that's who he was visiting. 
His relatives helped him get on a bus. Oh, did I tell you his age? No, I imagine old. I think he's, oh, I didn't even write it down. So it's going to test my memory. I think he's 68 or 69. So Tedford was visiting his wife. They get him on a bus in St. Albans. The bus comes down the state south. And by the time it gets to the last stop in Bennington, he's not on the bus. No one saw him get off the bus. No one saw him talking to anybody. And legend has it, his suitcase was still up above his seat in the luggage thing. And there was a like bus time chart or bus ticket left in his seat. Mm -hmm. So it seems like he just disappeared and hole <laughs> in a hole he just fell in a hole, in, a hole bus. in the bus hey listen uh yep <laughs> so he supposedly vanished into thin air and again this is the story that was like wait a second this is different because it's not just somebody hiking in the forest where a million things can happen like falling into a hole so this what is what is going well, on uh, yeah no no question bring bring it up well, this, I, yeah. I, well I was gonna say you know I feel like when you're on a bus, you're not really looking at what strangers are doing. You know, you're not like, oh, there's one person who came out. Oh, there's another person that went off the bus. You're just sort of in a daze, right? Well, so yeah, he could have just wandered off or. Yeah. So I, I'm going to bring up something. I'm going to tease. This is my tease for the end of the episode is I actually want to end the episode on some stuff I learned about Tedford's disappearance at the end of the episode. Okay. okay. And almost almost verbatim, one of the notes I put in that is, I wouldn't pay attention to somebody on the bus. No, never. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, you don't. Um, but no, I do have some information, so I'll share okay. it at the end of the episode. The next person was the, the fourth to vanish was the roughest story for me to research because it dealt with a child, a, a kid who was eight years old. His name was Paul Jepson, and this is in 1950. And his parents were the caretakers of the town dump. Now... I, I bring this up only because one of the things I learned about staying in Vermont as many times as I had is in the town where my family lives, there's no there's no trash disposal. You right. are in charge of putting your trash in your car, taking it to the um, dump. Interesting. Um, it's they're small towns. This is right. quaint. This is, you know, a rural most of the state is very rural. Right. And so I could see the caretakers of a dump actually being somewhat important kind of well-known people in mm -hmm, town. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, oh, the people at the dump. It's like, oh, the Jepsons. Right, like, right, people right. are going to know their name. Yeah. Paul Jepson's mother stopped to uh, feed and or move pigs, depending on what story you read, and she left Paul in the truck just very nearby. And her her tasks weren't going to take very long, so she just left him in the truck. When she did it, she, she finished her job. She came back to the truck, and Paul was gone. <sighs> yes. So some accounts say that his mother, her jobs were taking her about an hour. Other accounts say just like minutes. So I don't know hmm. what to believe, but obviously we know that Paul wasn't there and he had disappeared. So he was also wearing a red jacket, which is obviously similar to Paula Weldon. Mm -hmm. uh, his mother called for help immediately. And of course, people, it's a child, people showed up. Quickly, people showed up with dogs to help search. The Coast Guard was even brought in to help. So nothing has ever been found. And there are a lot of reports that say the dogs lost his scent uh, at a certain corner of streets with streets at a certain corner of streets, which I stupidly did not write down uh -huh. <laughs> in my notes here. But some legends say that the dogs lost the scent at this corner. And that's where Paula Weldon was last seen. 
I could not find anything to back that up mm-hmm, as being mm-hmm, truthful, mm-hmm. but that is a story that probably started immediately yeah, and people yeah. believe. Finally, the last person of the group that went missing is Frida Langer. Now, this happened only 16 days after Paul Jepson went missing in 1950, and it was on October 28th, and Frida Langer was 53 years old. And the first guy was November, right? First guy, that is a good question. Let me double check. Yeah, all, November. They all went missing yeah. in the last part of the year. It's all like quarter. the second. It's all like the second half of the year. There's not yeah. quite. Uh, well, October 100%. to December yeah. only. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So very, very good, very good observation. I'm solve paying this it, today. Paying attention. I'm gonna crack this. Uh, so Frida Langer was 53, and she was with her cousin, a guy named Herbert Elsner. He didn't. And they were camping. He definitely. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. maybe. Um. And they were camping near the Somerset Reservoir on the east side of Glastonbury Mountain. Now, one morning, they decided to go on a hike. And much like Mitty Rivers, I should point this out, this out is Frida Langer, she was a hunting person. Uh, she was an avid person. hunter. That yeah. is a better way to say that. A hunting person. Uh, she knew the, the area. She knew the woods. She knew the terrain very, very, very well and in very good shape as well. And at my age now, 54 doesn't sound super old anymore. No. Um, so during this hike with her cousin, it was about 3.45 p.m. She actually didn't, she accidentally tripped and fell into a stream. So she got wet. They were only about a half mile from their camp. So she told her cousin, wait here. I'm going to run back to camp real quick, change my clothes so I can be dry and come back and meet you. She did not return. Uh, Elsner, her cousin, made his way back to the campsite eventually, and uh, there were other people that were out with them that had stayed at the campsite and discovered that Frida had never come back. So at this point, because of the other disappearances and and were super recent to this, authorities were quick to start a major search, and they didn't want to quit until something or someone was found. They were very determined, but two weeks, five searches later, helicopters, aircraft, hundreds of people volunteering nothing was found on may 12th 1951 so what is that seven seven months later mm-hmm. frida was found three and a half miles from camp and her body i'm going to say that differently she was found three miles from camp and they could not determine a cause of death from mm. her body was in in such bad shape oh wow. yes and this is in an area this is the strange part that the searchers had searched really 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 well so thoughts so far so she's the only body that they found she's right? the only body <clears throat> out of the main group out of the, the main group that i'm sharing yeah. spooky spooky stories <laughs> yeah they're spooky um, and yeah yeah sorry that was... no no i you know i think these are all like except the dude on the bus they're all like in deep forests. Like I, th- I think it's yeah. hard to. F- I mean, even with hell, you know, I feel like people, even now with with yeah. more advanced technology, they'll sometimes. Lose oh, what happens all the time, and even on uh, autobiography cold cases on uh, Motor Trend TV, wow, when I show, I know way to plug my own show. <laughs> we did uh, a lot of missing persons cases, mainly because of COVID. We had to find things that we could do locally, right. um, but it's amazing how many of these things happen in areas where you think oh well obviously they're going to be found and then you get out there on on your feet even just to film and walk around like we did and it's like i wouldn't find anything right right so that is it's a valid theory that 
that we will discuss at the end of the episode is just the, the natural aspect of it. And it's why uh, Tetford kind of doesn't fit with the main five, even though he's always right. put into it. And we'll right. get into that, too. The other thing is like, yes, yeah, she disappeared in October right yes which is fall so you know lots of leaves in the ground things like that mm-hmm. and then they found her in, in spring. may and also uh snow don't forget this That's is vermont right. there right. are terrible terrible winters there so, right so yeah yeah you know and, and and at that point it could have been like if she had tripped and hit her head and got knocked out and then died um an animal could have you know like yeah i, I feel like it's all fairly it. reasonable yeah. It, it is. It is. I think one of the weird things about her case as well is how far away she was from camp, even though she knew the area. She right. knew the forest. That is weird. She knew the hike trail that they went on. Yeah. So that part is definitely strange. Yeah. But, you know, there's, you know, she heard a sound her, or there were like a there's like a wolf or something and yeah. she fled. Yeah. And. And also, you can get turned around. You can get turned. Around. You can get turned around, even no matter how and well you know these. Like things. ex, you know, experts often are the ones because they're confident will mm-hmm. will be the ones to get into trouble, right? So yeah. she could have. Absolutely. Gotten, yeah. Now there are some other people that went missing that that others include sometimes into the Bennington Triangle story. I'm going to try to do those just really, really quickly, just so everybody else hears about them, and you can form your own decision. There's a woman named Betty Frazier, and Betty, I think she's. I th- honestly, I think if I remember correctly, if you research Bennington Triangle on Wikipedia, I think she's included in that main group. They have mm-hmm. six instead of five. So she disappeared on May 5th, 1948. And she had been at a bar and she was walking home on foot. And so her husband reported her missing when she never came home. Initially, the bartender, a guy named Troy Rogers, was implicated in her disappearance because someone in the bar was like, oh, uh, the bartender drove her home. So he became a suspect, but he had an airtight alibi. Police even tried to like map out and time out and like take his route he would have taken. And it didn't line up with his with what would have actually had to have happened where they knew where he was with his alibi, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. he he did not do anything. The last sighting of Frazier was by a neighbor who reported seeing her walking unsteadily along the road. I think they even commented like she was in a trance and Frazier's body was discovered a month later on a forest trail 17 miles away. The case was closed as death by misadventure. <laughs> I don't okay. know how official that yeah. is. Yeah. Well, I've heard that before, actually. The Have mis- you really? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of death of, by misadventure. I think oh, it's interesting. like someone gets drunk and, and wanders and, away. And yeah. Does something crazy. Yeah. And, and I think, for obvious reasons, I don't include her in the main group mm-hmm. because I do think she got drunk and stumbled Walking away. That seems yeah. exactly Though, what happened. Walking for 17 miles is... 17 miles, she could have gotten a ride. She could have hitchhiked. She could have... Yeah, and also, true. this could be... you know, it does, Now, if she had been murdered, I think they would have found evidence of right. that. But that doesn't mean that someone with not great... In, intentions picked her up for a ride or something right 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 right. Uh, we just don't know and we also don't know anything about her home life i'm sure some people that have researched this stuff out there know that and feel free to write me at a study of strange at gmail.com if you know more about her case here's what i want to know all these you mentioned like people who saw this person last Mm. i want to see if they appear in any of the other stories you know like banner guy yep yep where was banner guy yeah and for the other cases you know yeah uh well, I guess just listen. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, so uh, so just a couple others here. Yeah, There's yeah. Carl Herrick. He was, before that, he was in 1943. 
And this disappearance is often look, overlooked in discussions about the Bennington Triangle because a body was found, much like um, uh, Betty Fraser as well. And a definitive cause of death was given. So Carl was hunting with uh, his cousin Henry, another cousin hunting together. A lot of cousins. A lot of cousins. Um, they found his body after he went missing and they had searched for a few days. And he had his gun nearby, but no bullets had been discharged. And they did an autopsy and they determined that the cause of death was squeezing. His ribs had punctured a lung. Now, I found squeezing to be a bit odd. So I did some research into this because one of my first thoughts was, could he have just fallen and like done the same kind of thing, which I think is a possibility. But then I started thinking, what about a bear? Mm-hmm. Like, does a bear does a bear just hit and bite, or does a bear just like they hug, like a bear hug? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I actually looked into this, and I ended up finding an article on the by the Cumberland Times, and they mentioned the Herrick case because this was in 2013 that they wrote this. But they said that Herrick was found with scratches and bear tracks nearby, which I had never read before when mm-hmm. I was reading about him. So mm-hmm. I found that really interesting. So I do think that the bear might be a solid option if they are, in fact, correct in their report. Maybe a bear killed all of them. There's a bear. Was there a bear on the bus? Maybe a bear was on the bus. But it had a little hat on, so people yeah. thought it was a human. Look, bears got to go visit relatives Other, sometimes, yeah. too. Yeah, so, exactly. You know. Uh, a couple more mention exclusively that I found by Joseph Citro in one of his books that I have not even tried to corroborate yet, but I'll bring up. Uh, is in Burlington, oh no, excuse me, in the Burlington Free Press, uh, they had an article on October 25th, 1981, a reporter of theirs named Sally Jacobs says that two years after Paula Weldon disappeared, a trio of hunters from Massachusetts vanished near Glastonbury. Their disappearance, like all the other ones, is still a mystery. It's unsolved. So that's all the detail I have. I have no other detail Mm. of that yet. I actually do want to spend a little more time seeing if I can track down anything about that. Uh, And then another one from the Bennington Banner, your favorite newspaper. Uh, They made reference to a 13-year-old Bennington boy uh, by the name of Melvin Hills, who was lost in the same area in 1942, also in October. Again, I can't find any more information yet. But these missing persons, they weren't the end or the beginning of the high strangeness of the Bennington Triangle. <laughs> but surely other people disappeared later. You're going to talk about it, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to uh, say, like, why is that Why is that the cutoff? No, I, I think it's... Oh, look, a lot of people have gone missing. You can... Everybody can research this because there are the active missing persons cases in Vermont are online. Mm-hmm. So anybody can look it up. It's not as many people as you think. I actually thought there'd be, like hundreds of thousands of missing persons cases that are open that they're looking for in the air and it's not it's actually far fewer so this is a lot of people to disappear in that area in that time frame um and again these are the ones that like are the most mysterious so some of them might be like sally what was her name sally not i almost said sally fields betty fraser someone completely different than what i was thinking (laughs) uh betty fraser drunkenly stumbling away there's probably a number of cases like that that's like look she Someone got drunk and, and fell down a, a ravine and right you know but so it's not it's not strange enough to be mm-hmm. included in the mm-hmm. weirdness of the bennington triangle so there's two components or perspectives i guess you could say about these missing person cases is one they just went missing they fell into a hole like yuri likes to say they fell into a hole or two like all these articles bring up there's some kind of connection or tie-in with local paranormal supernatural occurrences 
Uh, so before we settle that, let's consider some history and let's also learn about these legends lore. You know, where do they come from? What are they? All of that kind of fun stuff. I, I, I want a button now that's like history nerd alert. So I was like, <laughs> brr, brr. Um, I love folklore. I'm Russian and Russian folklore yeah. is insane. And so. Well, I was, I actually am going to bring up something about that in a bit because vampires will come up today and in obviously in Eastern Europe. And the, yeah, big on vampires. A big, big vampire uh, folklore. But we have like forest trickster spirits and yeah. people leave milk and cookies and for you house were, spirit. You were born in the Ukraine. Is I that was, correct? Yeah. yeah, in yeah. Kiev. Yeah. Nice. So nice. I was five when we left. Uh, yeah. So we will talk about that for sure. Uh, so most people know that the early European, 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 opinion, yeah. most, most people know that the early European and specifically English, British roots in North America were communities developed in New England, hence New England. Oh, that's why? Do you, yeah, yeah, you put it, okay, it makes never, sense never now. Put it together. Uh, P- Pilgrims, Plymouth Rock, yada, yada, yada. If you're an American, you went to school in America, you probably heard a lot about this and the pilgrims and a lot of other immigrants to new england were puritans and this is only a cliff notes version of this but i do think it's actually important when we think about local lore and stuff like that uh so puritanism is a religion that broke off from the church of england based on the theological work by john calvin this is like the 1500s through the mid to late 1700s uh i only vaguely know about this but i'm pretty sure puritans believe in predestination which is like you are born going to heaven or hell it doesn't matter what you do you're just god already decided what's going to happen to you seems weird why why do anything i I don't i don't it is weird especially because they were so strict about it too it it does seem very weird but yeah they're they're very strict apparently they were more colorful than just like the black outfits and the big buckles they Mm -hmm. did dress in different different garb than that but that's the way we think of them uh they also were Big proponents and supporters of education, but only for men, of course. Of course. And they actually helped set up Harvard College. So, how do they feel about Jews? Uh, Poorly. I I mean, I can't imagine very well. Yes. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we will briefly mention the Salem witch trials in New England. Sure. So if that's going on with other Puritans, yeah, 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 this is yeah. A, it's not yeah. it's not a good not no. a good thing for anybody else. Uh, so Puritanism in New England, I would imagine this is my own kind of thinking about how the way the world and history works, but their beliefs, their the way they systematically set up governments and local cities and counties and colonies and everything else, that's going to start blending and mixing in with the native population and the the local lore of Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the interesting things I think about New England is like you have the original, not the original, but like the first major European settlers and all of their beliefs mixing with Native legends as well. Yeah. And again, beautiful place, but super creepy. Uh, Also, a lot of forests, Mm -hmm. tough winters. Shoot, I didn't even think about Thanksgiving when I was writing this. Like Thanksgiving, everybody's like, hey, we're starving over here. Can can you guys help us? Mm-hmm. You seem to know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the winters are terrible, super humid and buggy in the summertime. It's a beautiful place, but it is kind of rugged. Mm-hmm. And and I do think that kind of goes into, you know, whatever at the time, the zeitgeist of the time and, and living and again, lore. 
Salem witch trials happened. Uh, witch hysteria was not just in Salem. That is the biggest place for and the one most well known. But other areas in New England also went through their own little witch hysteria. Who hasn't? Wrote Who hasn't? Who hasn't in their lives? Yeah. In Vermont burn. specifically, you have mountain ranges like the Green Mountains where Glastonbury is. Glastonbury is roughly 4,000 feet. I think it's, it's like 300 feet. So 3,700 feet. That's a better, I'm still rounding, but mm -hmm. around that, uh, which is a pretty big mountain for that area. It was a remote area. It was hard to get to. Even the Native Americans, apparently they didn't live around that mountain because it was too tough, too, too difficult to live there. But apparently they did use the area for burials, not like a very specific burial ground, like in a book or a movie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like just the general area. That's where they sort of saw it as a spiritual place and they would uh, use it for burials. There are stone structures, strange stone structures. That is hard to say. Strange, strange stone, stone, stone structures. structures around this part of New England. There's, I think, over 200 of them in Vermont. And they cause a lot of controversy in the archaeological world. What are we talking? What do they look like? They're, it's like little... No, I don't have a picture of them up. But it's like it, almost like Celtic hut, kind of like the, mm. the foundation of like stone cabins. Okay. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and the controversy lies in the fact that some people think native populations were using them as like a solar calendar. And other people think they were Celtics. They were, mm. you know, Europeans that had come over thousands of years before oh, interesting. and people are still studying them and debating them and they are so there's still no explanation of what they are still no explanation there i'm sure there's a lot of theories oh, that's cool. um but I i've like seen them in some like documentary tv shows and i've seen a bunch of pictures of them i i want to go to them i've been near yeah, them in vermont I, i've never I, gone never i want to go find them that. yeah cool. the area also does have a lot of bear a large cats. A lot of people think the catamount used to exist in vermont which mm. hasn't been seen in a while that's basically a jaguar mm. um also, I just wrote down a note, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, because I think that's just such a great example of like gothic storytelling right, in right. that area. Uh, now to get even more specific to the Glastonbury Mountain area, uh, Glastonbury, the town was formed in 16, excuse me, 1761. And no one really lived there. I mean, some people came in and out. But again, it's a tough place to live. And the long trail that we've been talking about today actually runs kind of along the border of where that town used to exist. So they built a town, but everyone was like, no, thanks. Yes, exactly. Until after the American Civil War. So the population started growing because of the timber business. So people set up like housing and kilns and everything else you need to log and create a logging company. Mm -hmm. But because it's up the mountain, there are no roads. So they built a train track. So from Bennington to Glastonbury, there was a, a long train track that was used just to haul lumber in and out. And it was actually very steep like so steep that it was kind of a marvel to have this very steep train track. But however, by 1889, the train stopped because like we do as humans, we cut down all the trees. So no more trees, no more lumber business. Mm -hmm. Everything shuts down, no trains anymore. Buildings start falling into disrepair. But then there was an idea to turn the area into a tourist destination. So they rebuilt the old housing complex for workers into a casino slash resort, and they con converted the train into a trolley to kind of bring guests up the mountain. But they only did this for one summer in 1898, because the fall of the same year, rain wiped out the trolley tracks. <laughs> so the whole place was obsolete because you can't get there. There's no roads. Yep, yep. So everything falls into disrepair again. Population just keeps dwindling. 
And at one point in time, before it was a quote-unquote ghost town, one family, all of its members made up the entire like town government. So you have like the mayor and the treasurer and the you know whatever. It's that is all, it's all just one. one I, I want family. I want to see a, a movie or TV show about. That oh, family, absolutely, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, now there were two murders during the early years of this town, Glastonbury. You would you would expect so, and part of me that didn't feels like even... the best place to murder someone. Oh, absolutely, right. And part of me wasn't even going to bring it up. I was like, no, that's actually really interesting history thinking about how many like weird disappearances also happen mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i will bring them up uh in 1892 again i'm henry mcdowell murdered jim crawley and henry mcdowell ended up going to the waterbury asylum however he escaped oh, soon like, after that these... and then disappeared <gasps> so what were you gonna say what about the asylum what was that oh just just like it it's so americana lore right it's like oh that's true he killed someone and he went to an asylum and then he escaped from the yep. asylum it just feels yep. like so also what is it about asylums back then you always hear stories about people going to it and they they escaped, they escaped. They, terrible like, did they not lock the doors places. like terrible. what is going on the word asylum is creepy oh yeah you know it's oh just yeah the absolutely. moment you hear asylum yeah. you're like hmm, don't want to go to an <laughs> asylum <laughs> yep uh i have a question yeah so there was there are were there other ways to get to the town other than the train? No, no. So when the train was washed, well, the track was washed away. Was there anyone left in the town? Yeah, I mean, people again. They lived there. There was even that family that lived there. Right, so, there, so there's how? there had to be like trails, uh-huh. but no like hard. road. Just, like see. you can't so just, bring a cart up. You gotta right. like either ride a singular horse or hike uh-huh, up. Uh-huh. Is, is what it. I think. Got it. Got again, it. if anybody knows uh, wants to correct me, please write me at a study of gmail dot com, and I will correct that. We'd like to hear from the family who lived there, please. Like yes, please. Here. Descendants the of the descendants family live there. The please mayor. email that. That would be amazing. I would love right? to do an interview with yes. that. Now, on opening day of Vermont's first ever official hunting season in 1897, a guy named John Harbor, who uh, lived in the town of Woodford nearby, was mysteriously murdered at a camp in Bickford Hollow, which is actually near where our first disappearance happened. Mm-hmm. He was hunting with his brother and... Boom. Mysteriously dead. They don't know who did it. He just died? There's like not many details. It's basically like he was murdered and it's like, all right. But who? I don't know. His brother probably. I'm sure they talked to him. I think he found him. I didn't write down the whole story because I wanted to make this so brief. But I think the brother found him, which again, he could have done it. Hey. Could have done it. There's no DNA back then. Mm, Yeah. I'm sure they don't have people analyzing fingerprints in yeah, a remote John area of Vermont. died. I don't know. So he just died. Yeah. So, uh, but he was he was murdered right there in the area. So G- Glastonbury has now been a ghost town for near a hundred years. Do you want to go run it with me? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I do. Cool. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like we can make it into a nice place. I feel like you can. Look, the way the long trails right near there, people love to hike. People vacation in Vermont just to hike. Plus, great place to go murder someone. Great place to murder someone. You and I have been talking about, like, where's the perfect place to murder somebody for years now? (laughs) We just found it. Uh, You can still find the, the, like, foundation of, I think, the casino resort is Uh still there. I've seen videos online that people hike to it. Uh, There's a stream, you know, a little stream in town. Uh, but it's mainly like, luckily, the forest has grown back. So it's mainly just all growth and tough to get to. So there's no buildings left? I, I think just foundations. Just foundations. I think just foundations. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, in fact, I think this is the, now that I, this is great radio, everybody. I was going to say, you guys should see this. This is amazing. So that's the the boarding house they converted into ah, like the resort. Oh, yeah. Guys, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, You're and there's really a trolley. Out. 
Here's the trailer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a cool photo. You guys are really missing out on this. <laughs> are you, you're going to have a website. You have a website. Yeah, yeah. So I you should a, put these up. Oh, I, I'm going to. He, gonna, know, he, knows, he knows what he's doing. I know what guys, I'm doing. He knows what he's doing. Look, I, I'm one of my previous episodes of Murder Mystery of Julia Wallace. I uh, I do the same thing where I'm like, you want to see the thing? And I like <laughs> turn it and the thing. I like that you have a photo that says man eating stone. And I don't even you have to see find that. it. It's right there. Man eating stone. Oh. Not oh. a man eating a stone, but a stone that's man eating. Ooh, nice. Nice. So. We know the missing persons reports now. You know some of the history. It's time for the local legends. Finally, it's only taken us, oh. what, like four hours to get here? <laughs> uh, there's no format to this episode today because I'm okay. just going over information. And I keep interrupting you every five seconds. No, that's that's perfect. People don't actually want to hear me talk. I'm doing the show. That's, people people that's why want I came to up. hear me can converse. <laughs> uh, no, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask what you want to hear about. I'll give you a list of stuff. You get to pick okay, like okay. some things. Okay, okay. Uh, so vampires. Ghosts, UFOs, monsters. There's also some Civil War and KKK stories to share, and native tales. So, I'll take native tales for two hundred. Two hundred. This is short. This is going to go quick because all all these kind of tales are they're just passed on. So it's all like anecdotal. Sure. So somewhere up on Glastonbury Mountain, the Abenaki. I think that's the the local tribe, and hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I think I am. They believe that there was a stone pathway that would lead up the mountain. And when you touch the stones at a certain spot on that pathway, it would send you into another world and you would never return. Nice world or bad world? I guess, I guess nobody, it's, nobody no ever one returns. <laughs> no one ever returns. Uh, but I do find that interesting relating to you know disappearing people on the mountain. Uh, now, no one is sure of the native, this is such a nerdy thing that of course I would look up. So I don't know if this is interesting or not, but no one is sure what they actually what the natives actually called glastonbury mountain because mm -hmm. there are other mountains that like we know the native names for and glastonbury no one is quite sure but there is some anecdotal evidence that they called it the place where the four winds meet and the reason i wanted to call that out is hey it's just nerdy history and i like that but a lot of people talk about how confusing it can be to hike that area because the wind does come at you from every direction. Hmm. So it adds to this disorienting effect of thinking you're aware of what direction you're walking and not. And that actually does have an effect on like your internal mapping capabilities right. of what your head is thinking. Right. Uh, so I found that really interesting. Uh, some say the natives said that the mountain was cursed. I cannot find specifics to that. That is just one of those, again, quick little anecdotes of oh, the mountains cursed mm -hmm. don't go up there the mm -hmm. abenaki say that you should never travel on that mountain uh, others say that it was a burial area and these tales as far as i've been able to deduce are just tales so i can't corroborate them again a call to action if anybody knows i do want to learn more about this i've spent way too long researching it it would be nice if someone just told me <laughs> some more details about that um, so that is the very short. I want to hear more about the magic rock that sends you to a different. Well, I, I do too, and I'm sure. Oral. Again, these are you know all oral traditions, yeah. so I don't think there is much else besides like there is a magic stone pathway that leads to a man another world. Stone, like your picture. Man-eating stone. Man-eating stone. Uh, okay. Well, that's yeah. now so it's my going theory that there's a magic stone there. There you it's go. Probably to a different dimension. So like those people touch the stone and they're in a new dimension but it's so similar to the one they lived in yeah. they are just in a dimension where they don't disappear 
maybe some weird like maybe hillary look, wins in their it, world yeah um and then you know but in our world they just yeah and look you can you can kind of like laugh at that idea but a lot of people believe these quote-unquote triangles again that they are interdimensional there's some kind of oh, well, energy vortex yeah. that we don't understand that does take you into a different dimension a lot of people i've heard in the pacific northwest with like bigfoot they think he's a interdimensional being uh, and it could be some sort of area where something like that. But so uh, 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 it is an interesting thing that you just because uh, it doesn't sound like you're saying that like, oh, I've read a lot about it sounds no. like you're just like thinking about it, which is really interesting. <laughs> well, I have a yeah. whole. Yeah. Yeah. I like I, I had this uh, in a, on a late night debate with my wife. I was like, I had this like, what if instead of people dying when we die, we just like dimension travel. So to us, we don't know, you know, mm -hmm. we just like, we wait, like, cause you know, sometimes you wake up from a dream and you're like, yeah. God, that was crazy. It was so realistic. Yeah. I was 70 and I died. Um, and so I'm like, well, maybe we just never die. We just constantly dimension travel through our own bodies in a different timelines. That's interesting. That's interesting. If anyone knows more about that, write to us. Yes. But, a study of strange at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, you just gave me an idea for an episode actually. Yeah. No, one about like theories of what happens when we die is a lot of people, you know, there's there's questions about what is actually what is consciousness right. and like right. energy has to move and, you know, give yep. like blah, 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 yep. blah, blah. Yep. There, there is some there's science so and stuff yeah. to that, yeah. that. That that it's uh, like a game or like a uh, what's it called? Oh, a, a simulation. A simulation. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of like. Yeah, the end of uh, Men in Black. Do you remember when it's like they're they're looking for the universe or whatever in the little the little necklace thing yes, that Cat yes, had? Yes, yes, yes. And at the end, they like zoom out and we're in a universe that's in a, like, oh, a little yes. thing. Oh yes, yeah, and it just keeps growing yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was fun stuff. Uh, okay, so uh, next up, we have vampires, we have ghosts, we have UFOs, we have monsters, we have uh, KKK, we have. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I like why that the I'm KKK that are part of the. It's like they were real. They were, <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> like no. they're part of the legend lineup. It, it's, and then the mysterious. Races. It's just like there's because outside of just local legends, I do think what happens there for real affects the way people believe about things that are happening. So mm -hmm. that's why I think it's important to include stuff like that. So do you want to know about that? I mean, yeah. Jew wants to know about the KKK. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, the better you understand. Exactly. <laughs> As recently as 1927, so luckily that, that is a while ago now, clans uh, persons were not afraid, in fact, quite proud to march in the parades of Montpellier, Vermont, the 4th of July parade specifically. Uh, some say that in the mid-1920s, there were 14,000 KKK members in Vermont. And you don't think about Vermont as being a hotbed of KKK right. membership. Though, as we talked about earlier, a lot of white people. Yes. It's yeah, that is, it is true. It is not a very diverse place nowadays. Yeah. Now, there are some that say those numbers were inflated by the KKK. There may have only been a few thousand, but still, it's a few thousand too many. Yep. Now, the numbers did die out at the end of that decade. It was very nationally. Like, the numbers of KKK really spouted out right at the end of World War One, mm -hmm. into the 1920s, and the numbers started dwindling again. Um, I wonder why. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons. Depression, they can afford the sheets. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I can't. It. I can't be a solve member it. anymore, guys. Uh, I can't. I don't can't have enough sheets. sheets. So what's interesting? What I found interesting and kind of fun is there's a conspiracy, and this is so KKK. You're going to be like, yeah, of course, this is what they thought. But they thought that the Catholic Church in Burlington was storing 
tons of ammo and guns in their like basement or in their chapel or something. Mm -hmm. And they were doing it because they wanted to take over the government or fight the KKK members. The or Catholic something. Church specifically? Yep, Catholic Church, yeah. Oh, because they hated Catholics. Oh, they yeah, they yeah, I forgot of course. about that. Yeah, if, about you're, the you're not Protestant. Yeah, you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So a KKK group broke into the church one night to steal the arms, but of course they found no such thing. So one of the Real gentlemen, you and non vibes. Yeah, one of the gentlemen. Nothing changed. Human nature does yeah, not change. For real. I say that all the time. One of the men decided to start stealing crucifixes and other church memorabilia and sure. things, which I just love. You have this organization that thinks of itself as being religious and being Christian, and yet you're breaking into a church and you're stealing crucifixes. Yeah. So that's uh, good on you there. Now, there was a statewide meeting of the Klan at a farm on the outskirts of Mount Pelier in 1925, and the crowd grew to 400 people. No, excuse me, there were 400 automobiles. Mm. So that means there's even a lot sure. more other people. Uh, Catholics in Montpellier were the targets of cross burnings uh, at their cemetery and throughout town. Sort and, of fascinating. I, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I I knew that like when Kennedy ran, they were like Catholic. Yep. But yep. I didn't realize the KKK was so against Catholics. I I think they're against anybody that's not them. I mean, that's yeah. that's it. And it's uh, that's one of the, this story. I just need just, a, I just need a hug. I, I mean, everybody does. From my, yeah. yeah, everybody needs to calm down, have a hug, uh, chill out. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I find it really fascinating. I'm glad you you think it is too, because that's that's kind of the whole gist of it. Is just yeah. like this thing happened in Vermont where you don't expect the Klan, right. and it was strategy. It was a strategy from them. They did. They were trying to influence politics and governments, so they did send people up to be like, start organizing, start enlisting. They're still, people. They're still doing that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I wanted to talk to you about something. Yeah. I have this <laughs> this pamphlet. <laughs> yes, <go on. laughs> you should read it. Uh, so there, yeah, there's your KKK. Do you? I'm going to suggest we go immediately into a very quick civil Monsters. war story. Oh, civil no, war. Civil war, just because I, the I connection. Love civil yeah. War stuff. yeah, please. A lot of people that live in the the northern United States might, on vacations down south, visit civil war battlegrounds. I actually have never done that. I've always wanted to. Nor I, 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 would, uh, I would like to. I may have on a job, but yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, but as it turns out, they don't need to go down south because there was a battleground in Vermont that most people don't realize. The town of St. Albans was actually claimed for the Confederacy for, I think, 12 minutes, if I read <laughs> the, the story correctly. So on October 10th, 1864... Uh, around twenty October again. Ooh, that's that's so interesting. You're you're picking up on a lot. You're <laughs> picking up more stuff than I even realized. So yes, in October, some twenty young strangers started appearing in St. Albans, Vermont, and apparently they were disguised as various different business people, like horse traders or preachers and. Uh, I think some of them even did claim to be tourists or hunters coming up for to hunt. But of course, they weren't there for a vacation or for a hunting season. When they were talking to locals about hunting, they were actually trying to borrow guns. And they were also assessing how to best escape town should they need to as well when they were talking about horse trading and stuff like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. They were led by a 21-year-old Southerner named Bennett Young. And their plan actually did come to fruition and they sort of jumped out at people one night or one day and they shouted, we're Confederate soldiers. 
we've come to take your town. We're just going to have all your money, and if you resist, we'll blow your brains out. So they actually did get into a bit of a squirmish. Uh, some people were shot. I think only one died, mm-hmm. which is still bad, but thank sure. goodness it wasn't more than one. And after the 12 or so minutes, they actually had to escape town, but they took money, lots and lots of money, and they were able to escape into Canada. And St. Albans, I don't have a map up to, I know. St. Albans is, is relatively far north, so it wasn't like right. a dreadful hike into Canada. Right. Now, in Canada, they were actually caught, or at least some of them were. And they went on trial, but Canada decided, this is out of our jurisdiction. <laughs> what can we do? So they had to release them and give them the money that they had stolen from the town. Oh, they didn't like give them to the, the states? Nope, nope. They were released and the money was given back to them. And they had apparently $80,000 on them, which in 1860 money- Lots of money. Is a lot of money. So they they did quite- so were they ever caught after? You know, I didn't. I didn't look. It into was. That. It's less Confederate and more like twenty dudes decided to be bandits and rob a town. It, it kind of is. It yeah. kind of is. But they did say they claimed the town for the Confederacy <laughs> and and all that kind of stuff. And it's an, again an interesting story that I think does feed into, you know, local beliefs and lore and thoughts and if things like that. If any of your listeners are in Canada, your relatives might be these people. <laughs> Please write to us. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So wait, where where's my little list here of other things? Uh, ghosts for six hundred. Ghost for six hundred. Cool. It's a longer episode than I actually intended it to be. Okay. I'm the thing is I'm fascinating as a person. So, so you know all of good. Yeah. My ratings. It's be a three and a half great. hour. Yeah. If you want to hear more of Yuri, please, please subscribe. <laughs> In Woodstock, Vermont, a man named Gaius P. Cobb. I've only picked this because I saw his name. I was like, I'm going to read this one. That's great. Uh, He was an inventor, and this is 1851. And to give you a hint about how many, I don't have any specific ghost stories that we know that he shared, but he experienced so many ghost encounters that he invented a rapping machine. Essentially, it's almost like, I imagine it as like a little piano. Mm -hmm. So it would have little keys, and would have different sounds, and the different little raps it would make would communicate with spirits and what i find interesting about this is if you heard my spirit photos episodes you know that spiritualism started in upstate new york not far away from this around the same time so the idea of communicating with spirits was very much part of uh, in the zeitgeist especially in that geographical region uh, another little tale here, Manchester, Vermont. That's seven- where I went. That's where the, the festival. Manchester? Yes, that's. I was there just a few weeks. It's beautiful. Ago. Yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. amazing little yeah. town. Yeah, uh, yeah. I go through Manchester every time I'm it's up there. So cute. Uh, so in 1769, that's so old for the United States. Yeah. Oh my god, uh, the Equinox Hotel has been a destination for guests, including people like Abraham Lincoln's family, and they would go up I there. Say for- Abraham Lincoln's ghost. <laughs> well, he might. He, he, might, he might be up there at the same time. Um, so there have been claims of paranormal activity from President Lincoln's wife, Mary Mary Todd Lincoln. Whether you're a fan of ghosts or you just like beautiful Vermont, stop by the Equinox Hotel in oh, Manchester. So they, they still. Yeah, still no, no. People claim they see Mary Todd Lincoln. And it's, there. it's still open. 
Yeah, it's an old hotel. Since 1769. Wow. And stopped by the wonderful bookstore in Manchester, which is uh, one of my favorite bookstores in the entire world. There's some great, of it. great breakfast places, too. Yeah. There's a place in the second floor that we, I don't remember what it's called, but it was delicious on the main street. Yeah. Is, was that at the bookstore on the second floor? No. No, okay, never mind. Different place. I don't think so. Get out. Now, there's a, a place called Emily's Bridge in Stowe, Vermont. And this is, uh, I didn't write the whole story down because there's a lot of different variations of it. Again, trying to make this kind of quick to go through a yeah, bunch of yeah, different yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is a little far outside the Bennington Triangle, but just if anybody talks about ghosts in Vermont, they always talk about this bridge. And people have reported all sorts of strange occurrences, like they drive their car. And this is one of the famous Vermont covered bridges. Mm -hmm. So people drive their car through, they'll come out the other side, there'll be scratches along the side of the car, or they're here like knocking or pounding on it or footsteps. And the story is that someone named Emily hung herself or was murdered on it. There's all these different versions of this story, but that is kind of like the most famous haunted place in I love Vermont. the idea. Like I always like to think about ghost stories from the ghost point of view mm -hmm. where Emily's just like wandering the tunnel back and forth and then she sees a car and she's like, hey, 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 hey. And she's like running alongside and knocking like, hey, 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 let me out, let me out. Like, ah, yeah. damn it. Yeah. She's like, she just wants a ride. She just wants a ride. That's all. So in Brattleboro, which is a place I drive through every time I'm in Vermont as well. I know it very well. Uh, there's a castle-like estate, and it was once the Vermont Asylum for the Estate. Asylum. Yeah, yes. got to throw an asylum in here again. The tr it's called a retreat now, and it is still in existence. <laughs> but still for the insane. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, it was founded in 1834. Today, there are 58 buildings on a thousand-acre property. Yeah, it's huge. And only 20 of the buildings are actually modern. So a lot of that history, a lot of that energy... Yikes. You know, of old things. And there's this tower that looks like a castle keep kind of thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that was built between 1887 and 1892 by the patients of the asylum. And they stopped work on the tower because too many patients were jumping off to commit suicide. Today, there are still sightings of people jumping off the tower. But when people go to investigate, there's nothing's there. there. There's no body. Again. The ghosts are like, I've jumped 70,000 times. And I, <laughs> Somebody so I just, just, I just wanted to yeah. know what's happening. Uh, there's a, this is a great story I came across, and I'm probably not going to tell it nearly as well as I should or as no, I read you're it. You're going to nail it. But a deer hunter got lost in the woods in Vermont, and it got late. It was getting dark. It was snowing, so it's, hard to, it's even harder to see and get out of the woods. And he stumbled upon an old rock wall and he started following the rock wall until he reached an opening. He goes into the opening and inside on the other side of that rock wall is an old cemetery. And this scared him, not because apparently he was afraid of ghosts or anything, but he thought, if I'm going to freeze to death and succumb to the elements, I don't want to do it in a graveyard. Like, how creepy is that? And then he thought he heard something, something that sounded like music. And he's looking around and then he saw this woman who was singing and he sees her through the snow and he's, it's snow is falling and he's looking through and he can see that she's wearing a white dress, but nothing else. No store, no, no, uh, no coat, no snow things just out there in a white dress singing. And she doesn't see him at first. And then finally she kind of looks at him and he tries to talk to her and she doesn't reply. And then she lifts her hand and she points and he turns to look at where she pointed. Nothing's there. He turns back and she's gone. And there's no footprints in the snow where she had stood. And the man decided to walk in the direction that she was pointing. And eventually 
he stumbled across a road and was able to get picked up by a family, saw a farmhouse. And so the direction kind of saved his life. And the farmer he's talking to feeds him, gives him coffee, gives him food, and then gives him a lift home. And on the lift home, the farmer says, because he had shared the story, he said, don't tell stories like that. There is no graveyard in the forest. You're going to freak people out. So again, the story goes that this man, yeah, it's a good story. The man, apparently, once the snow thawed out, he decided to try to find the graveyard. Couldn't find it. So he went back out, went through the same path, along the same road, couldn't find it. No graveyard in existence. He was like, graveyard? That graveyard's been dead for seven years. (laughs) That graveyard's been dead for 25 (laughs) years. Don't go burying the graveyard in the graveyard. (laughs) There's a, a, a Russian folk a creature named Aleshi mm-hmm. and Aleshi is it tricks it's a trickster and so it gets lo- gets you lost and mm-hmm. you you like see things and it plays tricks on you and things yeah. like that so to me that's probably Aleshi oh yeah it, you know? yeah there you go all right so we have uh what do we have left we have vampires you want to do vampires sure so this one is uh this is good because we're getting up to our first recreation scene oh good finally Man, Finally. this episode's been so much longer than I expected. Again, because you're fascinating. <laughs> yes, yes, so, yes, yes. Uh, so in New England, in the early 1800s, the early 19th century, there was this interest. Interest is the wrong word. There was this interesting connection that people were making between consumption, which is tuberculosis. I only know it because of, you know, the cowboys would always get consumption. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but consumption and vampirism. And so typically what would happen is someone in, in New England who had died of consumption, and then if his family members or her family members also got consumption, they would think vampire. So they would dig up the body, they would find the heart, and they would burn the heart. They would pull it out and burn it up. And that was a way to stop other people from getting the consumption. So <laughs> Did it work? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple instances of this. On October 9th, I mean, there's probably more than this. These are just some examples. On October 9th, 1890, the Vermont Standard published an article about vampirism in Vermont. And the yeah, article detailed. Alliteration is really what's up. Yeah, yeah. The article detailed an event from 1830. A man named Corwin died of consumption and he was buried in Woodstock, Vermont Cemetery. Six months after the burial, Corwin's brother also got it. So they couldn't, the doctors were like, I don't know. I don't know what the cure is. Have you tried digging up the body and burning the heart? That's exactly what they did. Some people from Vermont Medical College blamed vampires and they dug them up. Oh boy. They said they, when they found the heart in the body, they claim it was full of blood Mm -hmm. and they burned it publicly so everybody could see. Another example from the same area happened in 1817. A Dartmouth student named Daniel Ransom got consumption. And shortly after he died on February 14th, his father grew concerned that his son had become a vampire. So the father had his son's body exhumed. They took out the heart and they burned it. Now, this practice was all over New England, apparently. Love way hearts. more than it should have been. Do you, if you die, do you want me to dig you up and burn you? I mean, kind of, yeah. Okay. That would be pretty cool. Pu- publicly. I have to. Publicly is the only way. If you're yeah. just doing it by yourself, I'm like, something's wrong with point. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this also caught the attention of 
Henry David Thoreau, famous American literary Uh-oh, marvel. scripture coming out. And we're going to do a little recreation. You're going to read Thoreau. And uh, this is what I imagine something something happened. And please. How old was Thoreau in this? Oh, God, this is, I think this is 61 when uh, he was writing about this. I have, I have okay. should I look him up? Uh, no, you know what? I'm just going to do something. Just pick an age. <laughs> yeah, Make a yeah. choice. Make a choice. All right. So here we go. Thoreau's cabin, somewhere in Massachusetts. It's a beautiful New England summer day, and Henry David Thoreau sits on the porch of his small but elegant cabin, writing. A stack of papers full of musings, notes, and drafts of stories are piled next to him. A delivery man walks up to the cabin and sets down a box with milk and eggs right by Thoreau's door. Good morning, Mr. Thoreau. Here's your order. No, thank you. What are you working on today? An essay about the importance of living in harmony with nature, I presume, or the goodness of man, or the evils of slavery again? Something new, I dare say. Oh, perhaps a biography? No, no, no. Vampires. Not to worry about mythical monsters, dear sir. The savage of man is never quite eradicated. I just read this account about a family in Vermont. Several of its members have died of consumption. Just burn the lungs, heart, and liver of the last deceased in order to prevent any more from having it. Better safe than sorry, I always say. Yes, ha ha ha, science. (laughs) Perfect. Well done. Thank you. Well done. So your last little uh, bit there is a quote of something he actually actually wrote. Boy. Yeah. So good on, good on you. Good on you. In order to prevent any more from having it. Boy. 19th century language. You I don't love you it. don't want your doctor to recommend exhuming a body and burning its No, no. It's just you, yeah. you start doubting there. Where did you go to medical <laughs> yeah, school? The Vermont Medical degree? College. What did you what class did you take? Vampirism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I'm a um, doctor of vampirism. <clears throat> so, uh yeah, so all right, that's our that's our sort of vampire tie-in there. Monsters, please. Monsters. That's is that the one? Only? I think oh, and UFOs. I think we have yeah, yeah. yeah. Um though I am I'm into UFOs. Yeah, that's that's. I have to tell you, after this episode, I have to walk to my car, and and Michael Street has no lamps, so it's all in pitch (laughs) darkness. Uh, We used to have lamps, and then I shot them all (laughs) out just to make it scarier. Yeah. So, uh, for hundreds of years, Vermonters have been seeing odd things in the forest. I, having been in Vermont just a few weeks ago, have also heard some really weird things at night. It's could you replicate them with your voice? Hi. I don't know. This is a weird shit. Uh, so uh, there's a, a lot of sightings. Honestly, if anybody's curious about Bigfoot sightings or bipedal creatures in Vermont, just Google it. There's infinite, uh, infinite amount of amount. Of, yeah, yeah. This maybe is why the episode's built... taking a long time. Tonight. <laughs> I cannot talk to it. Uh, maybe they built those stone structures. You know, they might have. They might have. Just throwing out Someone out there's probably already presented that theory. Probably. But no, there are infinite amount of Bigfoot uh, sightings in the area, including in 1609, Samuel D. Champlain, who Lake Champlain in the area has been named for, uh, he heard Native American stories of an oversized hairy man who would hide in the woods. And Champlain, he thought this is all hoo-ha. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he didn't think it was Poppycock. true. Poppycock. Poppycock. Now, historically, the first recorded encounter involved a man named Duluth, and he was part of Rogers Rangers. I think I've heard this limerick. Uh, it was 1750.
59. Now, while they were while they were retreating from a raid on an Abenaki settlement, the men were quote unquote being annoyed by a large bear that was throwing pine cones <laughs> and rocks and things at them. And the natives apparently would call him Weejuk or wet skin or slippery skin. And apparently they would say that he had a family or there was a large population of these slippery skin creatures in the area and he would walk up right on two feet. Hmm. Uh, another little anecdote tale slash interesting story. As recently as September 2003, a man spotted what he called a Bigfoot coming out of the woods along Route 7 towards Glastonbury Mountain, the area we're talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it was around dusk, and he told officials about this, and everybody, of course, shrugged it off, and were like, it's a bear. These things happen. Another Bigfoot guy telling us a story. But this is not the first sighting of a Bigfoot-like creature around the Glastonbury uh, area, because there is a thing called the Bennington Monster. And... The one story you come across a lot, almost every time you read about the Bennington Triangle, if people bring up Bigfoot, they talk about the Bennington monster. And the story behind that goes, sometimes it's the early 1800s, sometimes it's the late 1800s, but there's a stagecoach, and this part doesn't change. It's full of passengers. It's traveling, you know, right somewhere near Glastonbury Mountain. And it was forced to stop because something blocked the road or the road was washed out, again, depending on the story you read. And the stagecoach driver noticed large footprints in the mud or snow, and it was too big to be a man. And then suddenly the coach was attacked by a giant bipedal monster who hit the hit the vehicle, hit the carriage, knocked it over on its side before it ran off when everybody started yelling and trying to scare it away. And everybody said it was around six feet tall and had black hair and it was running on two legs. Mm. Uh, I just realized when I do the do the running motion to you the audience cannot see me he's doing a running motion <laughs> uh now i love big foot stories and i can't wait to find an appropriate one to do on this show i think it would be so much so much fun uh one of the things that makes me question the validity about a lot of these kind of stories though are those discrepancies of like early 1800s late right. 1800s right it's like where where did this story start right yeah, that's yeah. what i want to give me the first time someone told this story right. that's what i want yeah. stop just everybody saying one it of those from, guys was on a stage coach and he was late and they're like what happened he was like uh, well there uh, was a guy, giant giant monkey terrible. thing attacked me and yeah uh however there are some other interesting stories from the same time it's saying interesting way too much today as early as 1879, the New York Times reported that two hunters had happened upon a wild man. And the hunters had actually shot at this wild man, this animal creature on two legs. The animal actually got hit and cried in pain. And it didn't knock him down, though. So the animal is now pissed off. It turned around and it charged the hunters who apparently threw all their weapons on the ground and ran away. Uh, in 1867... There was another alleged wild man sighting, but this one's slightly different. This is a, a guy who would venture down from the woods to town from time to time and pull off his coat and expose himself uh, sure. to women in Glastonbury. So uh, somebody tells me that's not a it's not a Bigfoot like creature. I think that's <laughs> that's a Just hermit a, living yeah, in the woods. Yeah, yeah. And it has, I like the idea that he was like periodically would come down to expose yeah, himself yeah. like ah uh, i should go down again and yeah i haven't been out since last yeah, tuesday show someone my penis yep all right that takes us to ufos 
UFO's search function. So yes. do you do you believe that the Bennington Triangle is real? Do you think something supernatural happened there? Or is that the ending of this episode? That's going to be the ending of the episode. Okay, okay. I don't want to spoil it. A spoiler alert. All right. So July 2nd, we're on to UFOs now. Mm-hmm. 1907. I love this story, by the way. Okay. It's a little before noon, and men were standing on the corner of Church and College Streets in downtown Burlington, Vermont. 1907. That's when Bernie was mayor, right? Mm-hmm. That's yep. his first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the city was big. Oh, I wrote down a joke. I was like, make joke about Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. Uh, Amazing. Now, Burlington is a big city for Vermont, but it's not a big city, especially back then. It was 20,000 yeah. 20, residents back then. A quiet, peaceful town. And suddenly the whole area was shocked by an explosion. And the three men looked around and they saw this bright light. So what we're going to do is, oh yeah, oh yeah, here we go. Is we're gonna give a potential reading of what happened. I think you're gonna read Man One okay. and The Bishop. You have a lot of a oh, lot boy. of text right. on the next page. All right. All right, so here's what might have happened. Church Street in Burlington, Vermont during the day. There's a loud explosion. No, no, you wrote Lauf. Look. And look. you read it the way you wrote it. I I that's the way I spell that. There's a Lauf explosion. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Lauf explosion. And the buildings on the street shake and rattle. Three men standing in the corner having a conversation are shaken. One of the men jumps into the street and points at a giant light hovering 15 feet above the ground. Look! Oh, it's Thoreau, by the way. <laughs> it's, look! The ball of light hits the ground, then turns suddenly and hits a horse. The horse immediately falls to the ground dead. The light turns again and then flies away into the sky. Later, upon Church Street, it's now raining, and a reporter is interviewing interviewing some people who witnessed the event. And and this happened before the rain began. The rain started the second the thing flew away and hasn't stopped since. How big was it? Maybe 10 or 12 inches in diameter, but it had a large halo around it. Another man, a bishop, pushes through the crowd to speak with the reporter. Pardon me. I don't know why he's got a <laughs> southern bell voice. But... You want to quote me? I am the bishop. Okay. Oh, boy, you wrote me a monologue. <clears throat> I was standing on the corner of church and college streets, just in front of the Howard Bank and facing east, engaged in a conversation with ex-governor Woodbury and Mr. A.A. A. Buell, when without the slightest indication or warning that we were... St- we, uh, without the slightest indication or warning, we were startled by what sounded like a most unusual and terrific explosion, evidently very nearby. My first impression was that it was some it was some explosive shot from the upper portion of the hall furniture store. I observed a torpedo-shaped body some 300 feet away, stationary in appearance and suspended in the air about 50 feet above the tops of buildings. It was about 6 feet long by 8 inches in diameter, the shell cover having a dark appearance with tongues of fire issuing from spots on the surface resembling a red-hot unburnished copper. This object soon began to move, rather slowly, and disappeared over Dolan Brothers' store. As it moved, the covering seemed rupturing in places, and through these the intensely red flames issued. 
When first seen, it was surrounded by a halo of dim light, some twenty feet in diameter. There was no odor that I am aware of perceptible after the disappearance of the phenomenon, nor was there any damage done so far as was known to me. I am also very high. <laughs> and Soon. that's the way it actually happened. So... What, what was that? What, what what did they... There's no airplane. I mean, there were airplanes, but I think there were like a, five in the entire country at the time. Very specific explanation, definitely. It, very explicit. Ex- yeah. And that is a quote from an article I or figured, something. I figured yeah, you yeah, yeah. write this, yeah. Um, I can't it's write too good. that it's well. Too good. It's too good. It's too good. <laughs> too good. Um, the object's behavior is very odd. It's not a meteor. It's not something else because it is stopping and moving and changing direction. I'll tell you what I think it is, but I want to see if you have a theory first. I'm rereading it because I was so into the accent that I wasn't, you know, fully. <laughs> As about six, I think your dark appearance with tongues of fire. So it began to move rather slowly. God, I have no idea. So it blew up. Uh, I think it's ball lightning. Oh yeah, right. So yeah, because yeah, and I've, I, if people, if you haven't seen ball lightning, I mean, not many people have. It's very rare. Yeah, but we have this thing called YouTube nowadays. And there no, are videos of ball lightning, and I looked it up, I think a week ago when I was like putting yeah. together the outline for this, and, and I'm like, up. holy shit! I want to look it up. It is. It looks. I, I literally just don't want to take the time to show you right now. That's it's fine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Um, I'll but it is. That. It is fascinating because it does look, and, and it can look like various sizes. I don't sure. know if it can be various sizes, but it because it is light and it is sort of staying. Yeah. It can look big. It can look small, uh, and it moves in mysterious ways. And I'm like, man, like that woman. is like a woman. <laughs> the the interesting thing that the reason I wanted to put the whole explanation of this bishop guy down is bishop he, lady. Excuse me, yeah. bishop lady, bishop person. He bishop person mm-hmm. mentioned specifically not smelling anything. Sure. And this is what's strange because ball lightning apparently always has a very strong smell of sulfur. Oh, so the fact that they mentioned that is, I think, very interesting just to consider for a second. I do think it was ball lightning. That's my own personal theory. Mm-hmm. But the fact that 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 was mentioned by a witness does make me question yeah. that. And I'm, I would be happy to be wrong. Now, it is worth noting that there are some other amazing UFO stories in the area. New Hampshire, by the way, I think per capita has more ufo sightings than anywhere else except for washington it's where they vacation it's where they vacation it's beautiful i like it up there uh no but a lot of ufo sightings for how small vermont is how Mm -hmm. little of a population they have and how small the state is there are a lot of ufo sightings some of the most famous ones because i don't think that one's super famous that's just one of the most interesting ones i came Mm -hmm. across um but there's a, a place called the concord air force base and I believe if I'm getting my history correct here, there's uh, the Betty and Barney Hill story. Do you know that? Mm-mm. Have you ever heard that? It's one of the most famous UFO stories out there. And I'm going to butcher it because I haven't looked at it in a while. Everybody, I apologize. I think it's the early 60s. And I, they're in New Hampshire, but it's right next door. And they're driving at night. And this weird light thing flies over their car. They watch it, they examine it, they see it. They even, I think they even pull up binoculars and looking at it from the car and they think they see like creatures in it or whatever. Long story short is there, it's one of those stories where there's missing time, where they're driving and then suddenly they just like snap out of it and it's, they're 
gone 30 some odd miles farther than where they thought they were. Mm -hmm. And they later had memories of being taken aboard a ship and being studied and seeing creatures and all this stuff. And they did report it again. If I remember this incorrectly, please send me a message. But they reported it to the authorities. They passed it on to the people doing Project Blue Book at the time. And it just it became a very well-known. Like You've probably heard that they, they use it. It inspires a lot of TV shows yeah, and books yeah. and stuff. Um, so that's right there in the same sort of area. There's also this story called the Bluff Ledge Abduction, which is outside of Burlington, Vermont. And this happened in 1968. So it's seven years after Betty and Barney Hill. So it must have been 61 so it's two like camp counselors at a, at a camp on Lake Champlain. And the story goes that they're sitting down. All the, all the campers are with other people and they're off doing something else for the day. So these two people are relatively alone and they see a light in the, across the lake kind of coming towards them. It splits into multiple lights. Some of them shoot down into the water. Some of them come up. And the, the two people said that they saw through these like lights that came towards them, they were ships and they could see into them almost like a window. And they mm -hmm. would see like creatures that looked like us, but had big eyes and whatever through the window. And they started like pantomiming with the creatures in the UFO. So if I like wave at you, the UFO people would be like, yeah, like wave back. Uh, but then they too were something happened to them and time, mm. you know, there's this weird time things. Mm -hmm. Um, they became drowsy or something and disoriented and woke up later. And it was years later that these two people talked to some someone that put them under like hypnosis and they retold the story and there were memories of being inside the ship. Mm -hmm. And so that is that is Vermont right there. That's a, another relatively famous one. Again, I'm not going into all the details. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. episode is not about the story, so yeah, I'm not getting yeah, all the details yeah. correct. But the gist of it is is there and there are again, weird things that happen in these areas. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so let's, I mean, let's go towards the end here. Let's, let me get to, where am I going to do this? I'm going to do this. I don't think this it was one. UFOs. I'm going to just cross that one out. You don't think it was UFOs? I don't think it was UFOs. I don't think it was the KKK. To be completely serious for a second, we don't have an answer why those, the five yeah. main people disappeared that we talked about earlier. And most people see strange things when they look at those cases. Some of the strange things that, that you can come across, which you actually pointed out a few of them, which is the time of day, like time of day and time of year. They're all not in the exact same, but kind of similar mm -hmm. later in the year. Mm -hmm. Most of them were in like the afternoon when they disappeared. There is a connection that a lot of people bring up with red, the color red. However, when you really go into it, that only comes up in two of the stories. Right. So it, it's not, not a thing, but there are some like, people that do believe don't wear red going on a hike up there and whatever yeah and there's really no connection with those five people to each other either the area is the only thing that connects them and even tetford on the bus they just imagine that the bus route would take them along that route that goes along right, the mountain right, 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 right. but they don't know where he disappeared it could have been before that but the rest of them were within that sort of glastonbury mountain right. glastonbury ghost town right. area um, so those are the, the connective things there. The folk tales, the legends, all those little stories that I chaotically have shared here tonight. I I just I I'm curious, and my question for everybody out there, but especially you, because you're sitting across from me, mm -hmm. is: Do you see any connection between an area's history, the folklore, the strange stories that happen, 
two real cases of missing people even again like i said earlier in the episode even if it's like metaphorical or just a feeling or something or influences the way people think that this could be something strange because of all the other strange things but yeah what are your what yeah are your I, th I think that's i think that's exactly right i think that you know for the people who disappeared i think that they it, it doesn't seem too crazy to me that people disappear in woods in thick woods and i think that like, you know, we, we always talk about how, like, uh, people who uh, witness something, their memories of the event are, like, really messed up almost immediately. My yes, wife and yes. I saw a car accident right in front of us, and we were walked down half a block, and we're like, okay, so the green car hit the blue car, and the, and my wife was like, no, they weren't, there wasn't a green car. They were, you know, and it was like, we were, like, immediately wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so people who were like, I just saw her, and she turned right, it's like, that could have been the time there could have been totally different. Like, I just think it's, it's reasonable that someone gets lost and wanders off or falls down a hill and breaks their leg and dies and fall. You know what I mean? So, and, and, but I think, yeah, I think when you live in an area that's full of lore, you naturally, people naturally go, well, well, you know, I said, don't go up to those mountains. Like, again, as someone who comes from like my culture, so full of, of those stories like there's so many things that people our parents told us not to do because this happened mm -hmm. this happened mm -hmm. this happened and so then when one bad thing happens immediately you go oh it was probably the vampire yeah you yeah know, like of course it's like it's confirmation bias right and mm -hmm. if you grew up with these stories and they're like part of the fabric of your society then yeah it's very easy to create mystery out of almost anything right? yeah 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 there, there's a there's an, a connectivity between an, an area's lore and the way that people perceive things that happen. Right. And I can't put my finger on it, you know, especially in this case, I can't put my finger on it, but I just, I do know and I do believe that that is yeah. something that happens. And there are some, to, to make it about the missing people here for a second, there are some kind of common theories and those common theories are something paranormal or supernatural. It's a weird area, the Bennington Triangle, there's... Yeah interdimensional beings or doorways that's my second theory is it was the the native theory was the one i liked most yeah it's it's a good one I touch it's something and they disappear and it, it it's it is interesting how that because i don't think people thought of that when these people started missing and they were like these are strange disappearances right. Right. you know i don't think people were thinking oh the abenaki talked about right. the glass the old man mountain. was in the bus and he looked up in the mountain and he saw the rock mm -hmm. and he was focused on it and then it, and the rock it, ate somebody it, it ate him. uh no but it, it is an interesting local legend that does tie together i wish yeah. i knew more about that local legend. yeah i but, know i want to know more. um the other common theories are serial killer i don't believe that at all because there's no commonality between yeah, the victims i was just gonna say it, it doesn't seem like a serial killer no serial of... killers have usually a modus operandi yeah, yeah, they have yeah. a the type of way, are way like, different. Yeah. yeah it doesn't the sort of monster aspect of you know some sort of bigfoot like creature that you know someone stumbled across the wrong thing but and why found a baby bigfoot and not why a bear like why well that's the other that's another yeah. common theory yeah. is just animal animal yeah. some sort of bear or something and you know yeah. you stumble across it something the wrong way and yep one misstep and there you go right um or it even could be a combination of things like starving slipping falling st yeah. stub your toe you can't walk any longer and then a bear right. finds you and you know there there right. could be a combination of things yeah yeah and also ufos ufos are usually tied to james tetford the the guy in the bus mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because he apparently vanished in a thin air so right. people think there could have been sure. some sort of ufo flew overhead and yeah. zapped him up 
before I go in more into Tedford, because I do want to kind of end on him, uh, my personal theory yeah, I want to hear your... is I think people went missing. And, and again, I think my personal take on this is that I was in the Green Mountains two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I went on a very long hike. Mm-hmm. And I was with a lot of people. I was at no other, not much risk of getting lost or anything, but I was on a very common path. It's a popular path that people go to every day. There were other people hiking besides me and my family. And yet we wouldn't see people for a long period of time, even though we knew they were on the the same, Mm -hmm. the same hiking trail. The terrain is rough. Like it was, I, my father-in-law was with us and he's like, that is, that was not good for somebody that doesn't, isn't good with balance anymore. Right. Right. Um, and, and that was like the easy family hike and it was still a tough terrain. Right. right. They have to paint on trees like every 10 feet so that you right. don't get lost because yeah. if you turn around and look at something, I would turn back around and be like, wait, where's the mark on the tree? Where's the mark? Right, <laughs> there it is. Right, 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 and it's right. like, I'm feet away from it and yeah. I would miss it. Yeah. And this is the summertime when it's, you know, when it's a little bit easier to get around out there, I yeah. think anyway. Yeah. It's not bug season. It's not mud season, which is a thing up in Vermont. Mm-hmm. It was the right time of year and I would still kind of get disoriented mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. hike. And yeah. we were staying near a lake, like we were circling a lake and we would lose the lake and the lake's only like 15 feet away and right. you can't see the lake. Right. And you can't hear it either. Right. So right. I... I I just think I don't care how good you are in the wild. Accidents happen. Yep. People get turned around. People get disoriented. Yep. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. So I do think since these happened on hikes and woods, that is my most like likely yep. theory. The the kid Paul Jepson, I don't know. I I I think he's a little different too. He normally gets yeah. included with the group. That could be a that kid could have like gotten out and fell yeah. into. I mean, it's at a dump. Like he could have. You know, he's at mean? A, he could have fallen, fallen into something. Thing. There are kind of stories, and I don't know how valid they are, that he had been talking about like the allure of the mountain or something like that before he disappeared. But to me, that seems a little seems bit like, like you're creating a story to give it a narrative yeah, to yeah, find yeah, a meeting, yeah. where it's yeah. like it doesn't need a meeting. It is a terrible thing. Yeah, there doesn't need to be this hidden meeting to it. Yeah, yeah. That also That's why, right. That's yeah. why people create, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that also could be, I think, that's that and Tetford are kind of the two that don't fit the best with the five original ones. Because also he's a kid and look, bad things happen. There are bad people. Maybe he got tired of waiting in the truck and got out and was playing no, and somebody came and yeah. snatched him. Right. Like that I could see as well. And again, rough terrain. Yep. Yeah. Animals around. Mm-hmm. Like uh there is a there is an interesting story and I and I part of me didn't I don't want to go into detail because people that read about the Bennington Triangle talk about it all the time now. I feel like a few years ago, you would never see it, and now everybody says it, so it's right. not worth going into. People can look this up if you want. There's a, a gentleman named Robert Singley in 2008 that was on a hike on Glastonbury Mountain, and he got lost. He made it out all right. He was okay. He was found the next day. But he got disoriented. And the, his story is really interesting to consider these other people because he thought he knew exactly where he was. Mm-hmm. And yet he couldn't find his way off the mountain. So night came. He had to spend the night like huddled against trees and bushes to try mm-hmm. to stay warm. The next day, he is walking and walking and walking. He's finally finds somebody or finds the trail and, and is helped out. But he was on the completely opposite side of the mountain of where he thought he was. Wow, yeah. 
So that just shows you of like a crazy place. This is a this is a smart person that knows what they're doing and they end up on the completely wrong side of the mountain. So that's where I go. But I I do think it's worth mentioning some more info about James Tetford, uh, the old man that vanished on the bus. So by the time James was actually really reported missing, it was just over a week after the fact. It was not right away. Okay. And this only happened when the Bennington soldier's home where he lived called his wife in northern Vermont to find out if James was ever coming back home. So by the time the police were involved, it was almost two weeks later, and they finally got around to interviewing the bus driver and passengers. And you even said it earlier, if I'm a passenger in a bus, I'm not paying attention. Especially two weeks. Like, two weeks know, is so like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> and no one really remembered anything. But again, two weeks later. Right. And... The bus driver had some information, but he really didn't remember anything either. Uh, Some information did arrive. James was seen by a friend of his when the bus made a stop in Burlington. And his friend guessed that James got off the bus and never got back on. Mm. So he actually never even potentially came down through the Bennington Triangle Mm -hmm, down mm -hmm. to Bennington in South Vermont. Uh, That is this guy's theory. Uh, Also, someone said in some article or report or something that I read that the bus actually didn't have another stop between Burlington and Bennington, which is a pretty long drive. Um, Because a lot of the reports are like, oh, all the stops along the way, he was there until the very last one, and then he wasn't, but he never got off. If it was Burlington to, to Bennington, I actually do kind of give more validity to him getting off in Burlington. Right, right, right. And just never going all the way to Bennington. So that's, it's a, a bit of information. And then there. what? He just disappeared. And, he uh, just disappeared. And did he have like memory issues? Was he like. No, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Now, remember the other aspect of his case is that his luggage is apparently above his right. seat and there's like a ticket or a, or a right. bus schedule or something on his chair. I never saw that report. I've been reading every newspaper report I can find from mm-hmm. the time. I don't see that mentioned anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of those games of telephone, local yep. legends increases again i could be wrong Mm because i don't have everything yet but if the luggage wasn't there i think that gives again more validity to he got off and he went missing somewhere yeah so apparently tedford was not in the best of health and he wasn't happy again his wife i don't know much about their relationship but you can make assumptions his wife lived in northern vermont he lived in bennington that probably wasn't the most perfect situation for him and yeah, I think he might have gotten off the bus and just wanted to change change in his life and left. And this is where I thought of his story. And I'm not going to give names because I don't want to tell a story I'm not allowed to tell. But I do have a friend who has a relative that committed suicide. And I remember him telling me the story. And his uncle basically hung out with the family one day. Seemed totally normal, totally happy. Got in his car at the end of the day. I think it was a vacation because I think he had luggage and stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And he just drove away and I, like did not go home where they thought he was going and went off into the woods somewhere and committed suicide. And it was just one of those things of like the way the story was relayed to me was like, it was just done. It wasn't even like a sad thing. It's like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll hang out a little bit and then I'll go. It's right, just time. Right. It's just time. Right. So you can imagine someone late sixties, visiting. Mm-hmm. he's a veteran too. So yeah. maybe there's PTSD. Yeah. You know, we don't know the psychological situation that he was yeah. in. It could have. He could have just been like, I don't want to go all the way back to Bennington again. Yeah, yeah. I'm done. 
that seems fair. I'm just going to get off and walk, yeah. wander somewhere and yep. go. And again, it's like late end of the year. It's cold. Yeah. If he like fell down somewhere or he yeah. just shot himself or something. Absolutely. His body could have been easily not discovered. And fallen. If he's in Burlington, he's right by Lake Champlain. So there's bodies of water he could have yeah. fallen into. No one sees again. Yeah. Now, look, I'm not saying the Bennington Triangle isn't a place with strange phenomena or weird things happening. Or that I'm going to stop trying to figure out what's going on, but we can't just loop these things together to make a good story right? without forgetting that these are also real people. Right. And that's, that's I'm like the walking contradiction because I love these strange stories. I love paranormal and supernatural things, but I also love to be like, well, wait, yeah, hold yeah, on. I mean, that's the problem with like all these murder podcasts, yeah. right? It's just like, it's like everyone's so into it, but it's like these people lived and, yeah, real died, people. and died cruelly. And yeah, and so people. we just, we have to remember that. Yeah. Obviously, I still like sharing these stories. That's what I'm doing. But yeah. it's like, we can't, it, it does kind of bother me where like every story of a dis- disappearing person up there is now like, oh, the Bennington Triangle. It's like, well, right. this is a real person. Let's talk, yeah. hang on, just one second. Yeah, like yeah, just yeah. one, yeah. one second. Yeah. Let's. Let's look at the folklore. Let's do all of that. Let's let's right. consider everything. Right. And then that's kind of my my ending thought on it is we don't know. It there are strange things. I don't want to take away from the strange things, but I do think there are some very realistic non-paranormal. Yeah. Un unparanormal? Un, non, sure. non, non Non-paranormal. Yeah. Let's hope that they are all living happily in another dimension. Yes. Yes. Right. Bring it all back. Bring it all back <laughs> to your your big theory. Yep. Uh, any final thoughts before we we do a wrap up here? Uh, no. I think yeah. I think it, it's it's fascinating. I, I, I you know I was always I always loved the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. And then I read more closely about it, and people are like, I mean, it's you know they're cherry picking stories. <laughs> yes. Out yes. of a, like, I yeah. was like, damn it. There's like yeah. the Amelia Earhart one that's yeah. fascinating, right? All her like radio things. And, mm-hmm. yeah. But um, it's all fun to read about. But I. As with all paranormal things, I have there's it's it's never like no one ever has proof, right? And so it's like it makes me think our imagination is just act, very active, and stories affect us. And so, like tonight, tonight when I go to my car and drive home and park, I'm gonna be like, "Fuck!" I'm gonna be like super <laughs> hyper aware, right? Because it's all in my head. And so, like, I I think I'm. I'm more likely to see something. I'm doing quote air yes, quotes. Yes. Than uh, if it was yesterday. Yeah. No. 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 Belief. Belief strongly. Bias. Confirmation her. bias. Yeah, all those things feed yeah. into this. Just so, uh, when you are scared walking into your house, make sure yeah. to look down because of holes, though. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's yeah, the yeah, big yeah. thing. Yeah. If I disappear, look look for holes. You're gonna be like, like oh, ghost and spooks, and then you're just gonna fall into <laughs> yeah, a hole. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So distracted. Uh, but I uh, know this is all fascinating, and I like your final point. I think. The people are the important. Well, thing thank here. you, thank you. Yeah, and the aliens. Um, yeah, no. This is this has been a weird episode. It has gone on far longer than I thought it would. I thought this would be like a short episode, and we've talked our heads off. But it was because it's a little frantic. Because I was like, I just want to share these like well, there's interesting, a lot of stories. interesting little folklore things. Yeah, and I love stories. I mean, that's what we all. Yeah, do. yeah, and I I think that's kind of the difference of this is other people have covered the Bennington Triangle, but the thing that always bothered me about the story is there's these mentions of monsters and stuff, and it's like, well, wait, I need more Tell of me that. More about the monsters. Like, don't yeah. just bring it up in a sentence. Yeah. Tell me more. Do you do you believe in any of the monster stories? Like, do you think Bigfoot tribes? I, I don't know about tribes. Uh, I am. It's funny. Again, I'm a walking contradiction because I love these stories. And all I want to do is talk about these stories and make movies of the stories and TV yeah, shows. Yeah. But I don't believe in ghosts. 
Mm-hmm. I have a lot of experience. I'll share them on another episode one day when we do some paranormal stuff. I have experiences and I'm like, yeah, I did. I just debunked that like immediately. <laughs> um, and I, I believe that there's life in the universe. I just don't know if UFOs are visiting us. I think the universe yeah. is so vast. Yeah. How how are you traveling here? Yeah. Unless like there I are do think that, like whatever. Yeah, you know, I things. think like to me, UFOs seem fairly reasonable like they're within the realm of possibility yeah. more so than like to me if we find out ghosts sorry that ghosts are real it changes everything yeah, yeah you know what i mean it's yeah. like everything we know about the world is now different yeah uh if we see an alien it's like okay sure like they yeah. have technology they've you know yeah we have budding technology that's can you know look at yep. other planets yep. so they found us and they can travel fast like whatever but ghosts yeah harder to yeah, that's a good point. And that's the way I am with like something like a monster. I do think there are creatures that we haven't found yet yeah. or aren't aware of who have just escaped for various yeah. reasons. So I, I do give sort of like you just said with UFOs being yeah. in the realm of possibilities. I do think some sort of creature, sure, maybe not a Bigfoot, maybe it's something else. But I do yeah, think yeah, there yeah. are creatures that we do not know of. Yeah. Or only a few people have seen or know about, and you know, yeah. it's. I do think that that is still in the realm of possibility. What gorillas? They weren't even like confirmed until is that right? Very recent in like modern is history. That true? Yeah, oh, I, I can't know. remember the exact year, oh, but crazy. it was like late 1800s or something. There's like some that. story I stumbled on about some woman that was like in Europe or Eastern Europe in the like 1800s. I think that they found who came out of the woods and it was like this huge stocking like mm-hmm. and it's like there's like pictures of her they like treated her terribly because yeah. humans are terrible yeah of course but i was like what like and they they're still like not sure what she was yeah. exactly and i'm sure if i look more deeply into it it's probably like way worse you know what i mean it's like it was like probably some it's an actor human. doing method method <laughs> yeah, homework yeah no it's like some deformed malformed human that was abused yeah. by people who were like wow she's a monster you yeah know? but but that one was, I was like, but it made me think like, yeah, deep forests exists mm-hmm. and they're animals. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the Green Mountains, man, Vermont, it is, there's a lot of, a lot of lushness, not yeah. a lot of cities, right. small little towns, which means less human interaction. Right. right. So right. that is, that is a seems, place seems that stuff possible. could happen. Uh, well, look, thank you so much for, for being with me for this long thank tonight. Thank you. That uh, was a much fun. longer episode uh, than I thought. I had a good time. Do you want to give any final plugs? You have the summoned. Uh, the now. summoned. Go see the summoned. Uh, you can go to, I run HLG Studios, Happy Little Guillotine Studios. It's my production company. Go to hlgstudios.com. You can send us an email and say hello. Uh, <laughs> if you want to make a movie, you can send us an email and say, I have money. Let's make a movie. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really it. Okay, cool. Yeah, follow me on Twitter, Yuri. At- you're at yeah. no Twitter Yuri Baranovsky at Yuri Baranovsky. That's it. I got it. <laughs> good, I good job. You're doing better than I'm about to do <laughs> for, for my wrap up. Uh, well, thank you all. Thank you, Yuri, again. Uh, up next, I think I have a really unique and interesting multi-part episode series that not many people know about that involves spies and murder and strings <laughs> light in the sky. Also in New England, by the way. But it's a very dense story, so I may have to throw something else into the middle of that before I get to it. Um, but stay tuned. It's actually, I'm really excited about it. Uh, thank you all again for listening. Please visit a study of Follow it, us on Instagram at a study of strange. And please again, check out our Patreon page. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we're going to do a special giveaway. So you can find out about that through our website, a study of subscribe, rate, review. What else, what else do people say at the end of podcast? Yuri, I'm still learning. Um, 
I love you. Good night. Are you gonna tell? Are you gonna tell people what they're gonna get from the giveaway? Or? Not yet. Not yet. That's a secret. That's a secret. You gotta, you gotta look it up. Is know. it one of your guests? Or are you giving one of us away? Yes. Yeah. I'm not gonna tell which guest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it could I be think you. I can hear them screaming. <laughs> uh, no, I, I want to. I also. I do want to hear people's thoughts on today's episode, any other episode yeah. as well. If you have details Mostly we didn't in, like, cover. Mostly like how I did. Not Mostly on... about yours. Yeah. Um, but also, if you have ideas about future episodes, please email us at a astudyofstrange.gmail.com. That's one word. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thanks, Good guys. night. <laughs>